the deep red sea, the sea at the closing of that, and Exodus chapter 14, 13, and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, shall ye shall see them again no more forever. Woohoo! The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, that I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from them before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left, on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after to, into the midst of the sea, even all the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Perhaps they were getting a little too close, we're not sure, and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. Too late. For the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the, into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and, there, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. May the Lord has blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray for a moment. Help me this evening, Lord. Uh, this text is such a powerful expression of your grace and mercy and power upon our earth. May we rejoice together in what you've done. You're the same God of that did this, wrought this wonderful miracle, the same God we serve today. So, Lord, help us to trust in you. If we find ourselves in a cul-de-sac and not willing to trust you, may we, we just stop fighting and go forward at your command. I ask this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, Arthur Pink says that this miracle really of the Red Sea occupies this place as in the New Testament, the resurrection. The Red Sea really has is the supreme demonstration of God's power in the Old Testament. So if you want to go back and see a demonstration of God's power at the resurrection, parting of the Red Sea. Far more than simply a dry, low seabed that Israel happened to be able to meander through called the Reed Sea. Listen, we are doubting Scripture. Scripture is abundantly clear. It overthrew the Egyptians. I cannot see horses and chariots all dying and being overthrown in a six-inch water table level. 
Let's read the Bible and trust it for what it is. Last time we talked about the enemy, that is Pharaoh. The excuses in 10, 11, and 12, that was the focus sphere, the fault finding, and the forgetful feelings. Now number three is the explanation. So the enemy, two is the excuses, three is the explanation. And we see in verse 13 through 15, salvation. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There is a figure in various neighborhoods called a cul-de-sac. It is, you drive up, it's like a light bulb. You go around the circle and you go out the very same way you came in. There's one way in, there's one way out. And so that's where they were, the, the Israelites, and they had gone to the cul-de-sac, mountains here, mountains there, enemy in the back. You can't and a sea in the front. So what am I going to do now? Well, God says we're supposed to stand see, still and see the salvation of God. Stop trying to maneuver God, if you would, you know, the human response is this panic. First, we're afraid. Second, we run. Third, we fight. And fourth, we tell everybody. God's plan is just the opposite. We are to not be afraid. We are to stand still. We're to watch him work and we're to be quiet. And so that's what he wants from us is to let him work. He can handle it much better than I. And when we stop fighting, we, God then can take his plan into action, if you would. There are times when we want to lift up the question, why, Lord, why, why? Lord, why aren't you doing something about this? Why is this happening to me? Why isn't anything happening? Why aren't you helping me with this problem? We saturate the airways with our why questions of life. It could well be that God's waiting for an answer from us called surrender. It could well be that I'm waiting on you. One man said, the Lord's up, up, up in heaven tapping his foot. Okay, anytime. Hey, I, I didn't want, I don't like, like that. I think he's patiently waiting. When Moses and Israelites stood on the edge of the Red Sea, watching the Egyptian army close, on, close in on them, they cried to God in fear. They began praying, how is God going to rescue us? They, they lamented their dilemma. Shall we go back? Uh, we never had it this bad in Egypt, and they wanted to perhaps go back. Look how God answers them in 15. Why, why are you crying out to me? Get moving. Do something. Trust me to what I've called you to do. I'm just waiting for you to surrender. Too often we spend our days waiting for the miracle. When trouble comes, we cry out. When things go don't move fast enough, we blame God for not working in our timetable. We wonder, has God forsaken us? And all the while, God may well be saying to us, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm just waiting for you. And what is it that God's waiting for? Often he's waiting for us to lay aside our own agenda. Haggai, consider your ways. Waiting for us to deal with hidden sins in our heart. Confess. To be obedient to his word. Repent. To love more. To fear less. To believe without doubt. To soften our hearts. To draw near. To seek his will. Whatever, whenever God waits, he's waiting for a purpose. He wants to draw us back to himself. And when he finally comes to, when we come to our senses and do the things we know God wanted us to do from the get-go, then he often starts with a vengeance. You will see things just fall alive, boom, 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 like dominoes, doom, 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 doom. And what was impossible a few months ago or a couple of years ago or a couple of days ago, God is like, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. A poem by Annie Johnson Flint. The first stand, couple of stanzas, we'll finish at the end. Have you come to the Red Sea place in your life where in spite of all you can do, there is no way out, there's no way back, there's no other way but through? Then wait on the Lord of a, with a trust serene until the night of your fears is gone. He will send the wind, he will heat the floods when he says to your soul, go on. 
That's what he wants from us. He wants us to go on and to trust in all these things. So salvation, in verse 16, there's the sea. We see that clearly. Uh, the, the sea is, is, uh, is not going to be an obstacle in the eyes of God and the eyes of man. Absolutely. How can we get through this? The sovereign is seen in 14, 17. I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow thee and I will get my honor upon Pharaoh. Back in chapter 5, about verse 2, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I'm telling you, he's going to find out real soon. If you've not found out in the last 10 plagues, in the last year of your life, you're going to find out real soon who is this Lord that you have so callously and cravenly, if that's the word you put there, callously considered and disobeyed. This is the Lord Jehovah, the God of all. We find that the enemy is Pharaoh. The excuses were there in the first verses. The explanation is stand still and see God work. And then we see in 19 the entrance. And we see in 19 the pillar, first of all. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, were moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave light to, by night to these in 15, he has said now to Moses, not only am I going to provide salvation, but go, get moving. And so, now, what is this cloud? We often just simply, maybe, a, a, I think it's the Shekinah glory of God. I think it's a theophany or a Christophany, however you want to call it. It's the angel of the Lord. He, he, he moved behind. Can you imagine the angel of the Lord, the presence of God in a cloud or a pillar at night? And so it moves. McGee says, I believe the angel of God was none other than a pre-incarnate Christ. It was God himself who stood between the Egyptians and the Israelites. You want someone who has your back? You know, think of a greater one than God. McIntosh says, he has placed himself between us and our sins and it is our happy privilege to find him between us and everything and everyone that should be against us. I like that. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so he is on the side of the Israelites and he came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. What does it mean? It means the cloud moved from the front to behind them. It's an active cloud. Was it some kind of... Uh, just uh, oh, a happenstance. No, it's the, the, the glory of God protecting His children. Not only that, it kept the Israelites from looking back. It, it's, it's the rear view syndrome. Look at them back there. But if the clouds cover them, like, well, wow, God's great. I don't know what's back there. I can't see it. So I, I don't have to worry about it. But if you're looking back and, wow, look, they're catching up. They're catching up. And how fearful they're going to be. God is concerned for His children. There was the pillar, and then there's protection also in 20, so that the one came not near the other all the night. The best protection available anytime, anywhere, for eternity. We're trusting God for eternity, are we not? Now, I, I, have, I have a Glock 19. If I can just, just reach down out of my bed and grab it right there and pull it right out, and, that, and that's some protection. If, 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 I can, if I wake up enough to hear the burglar inside, I'll tell you, a greater protection is that. Is, is the God protecting us. The provision in 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, 
and made the sea dry land. The word dry land, there's a term used to describe land that is exceedingly dry with no moisture. It's sort of like the droughts we're having out west and everywhere else. It's exceedingly dry. It appears in Genesis 1-9 as the dry ground, which becomes visible at creation, the antithesis or the complete opposite of the waters. The earth's surface is called dry ground after the flood of Noah's day in Genesis 8, 7, and 14. These three events, God then causes water to be removed so the ground might appear simply dry land. It underscores the sovereignty of God's omnipotence. And you may have missed the when. Did you notice what it says in our text? If you're following along there, trust that you are. Uh, we find that uh, the Lord calls, verse 21, a, a strong east wind all that night. So it wasn't, according to the scripture, he divides it and immediately it wasn't like that. According to the Bible, he steps up the walls and he sends a wind all night long. And what does a wind do to any ground? It dries and takes up the water. So when the wind's done, now they're able to go across an absolutely dry ground. You can imagine, if God does not send the wind, even though the water's part, it's like a two or three feet deep of silt or mud. It could very well be. And they're... God did everything, does everything right. And so he dries up the ground. They go across on perhaps a dusty plain. If you've seen uh, Charlton Heston and, and Cecil D. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, I think we missed the reality. It's too picturesque, I believe, in that movie. Agen Rogers says, Now many of you think you know about the Exodus because you've seen a movie that with Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. He says, Friend, let me tell you, there's no movie, no film that can describe the glory, the marvel, the mystery, the miracle of the opening of the Red Sea and the bringing of the children through on dry shod. Tis true. We can't really grasp that with our limited resources of movie making. Any riverbed recently drained is going to be uh, impassable, swamp for days, perhaps weeks. Not so with God. He sends the wind. Picture the Israelites now they're watching the wind roar through those, that big alleyway and drying up the land. One man estimated if they went across a half mile wide, we know problem getting two million people through that if they're uh, can you you know, we think can you imagine four people going four at a time how long the line would be how can you get that many through you can't but if they march abreast a half mile wide as a whole group whoosh, then they can go through and pharaoh and his cronies if you would they fell right into god's trap well, they're probably thinking in their minds, well, if the Israelites can go through the sea, well, we're going to follow them. And probably by this point in time, it was a matter of ego and a matter of faith, saving face. And Pharaoh says, can you imagine? Well, we're not going to go in there. Are we? Well, then, no, 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 no. What kind of king are you? And so we're going to go. It's sort of like, sort of like Agrippa when the girl dances, this mood dance, and he says, I'll give you half the kingdom. What do you want? I want John the Baptist's head. But for, I can't say exactly how the Bible says, but for all of the peer pressure, he did it. Didn't want to. But to save face and the peer pressure, John lost his head. The pursuing then, 23, and Egyptians pursued and went in after them. So we have the pillar, the protection, the provision, the pursuing. Uh, after them, to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen, we learned last time that it was the whole conglomeration, everybody, his favorite chariots and horsemen, and all of them, if you look back, all the chariots, they all went. So it's the entire army, perhaps the greatest army on that area of the world at that time. 
Remember what the Lord has said, though. When this is over, you will know that I am the Lord. That is the purpose. When eternity comes and we have the great white throne judgment before the new order, before eternal order, that everybody will know at the great white throne judgment, everyone will know Jesus is Lord. And they will actually say, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that was the entrance, and now we find the exit finally. So we have the enemy, the excuses, the explanation, the entrance, and now the exit in 26. And we see the watery grave. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, and the waters may come again on the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. It's exactly what Moses did. He turned and stretched out his hand. Now, I don't know how close they were. Evidently, possibly, they were close because God brings confusion on the army there for a short time. But he stretches forth his hand at the day, at daybreak and the sea plunges back to normal. Can you imagine these two? I don't know how high they, we, our, our sanctified imagination, maybe 20, 30, 40 feet high. If the water keeper has been flowing down all this time, all night long, the water's flowing down. Can you imagine how high, the, especially on the one end, the water's going to get really pretty, pretty high. And, and then God, and then Moses raises out his hand, and God brings all those water. Wow, it's going to be collapsing in on the Egyptians. An angry torrent. Scripture says that God overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. What a remarkable, remarkable contrast. The Israelites have just gone through the same sea on dry ground. The entire group has gotten through to a person. And now the Egyptians who are falling, perhaps close behind, at least falling behind, and they're all in the sea, are going to lose their lives in the very place that the Israelites were saved. What a difference. It is like the difference when people hear the gospel. And those who respond positively to it will receive salvation. And those who respond negatively are going to spend eternity with, without Christ. It's, it's, what a difference it was. Moses stretched forth his hand. The water comes together. And 28, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Nothing really short of a, a massacre. You've heard of Custer's Last Stand. And I... And I, I've not read very much about that, but it was a massacre. It was a massacre here at Baal Zephron. It was a massacre of the Egyptians, not the Israelites. By the end of the day, not one Egyptian soldier who had pursued the Hebrews had a pulse. Not a single Egyptian lived through God's ambush, and not a single Hebrew was hurt. All we can say is God did all of this. It was a watery grave, and it was a work grandiose in 29. The children of Israel walked upon the dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, and Israel saw the great work that God had did in the Egyptians, upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. It was as they walked along the seashore, where we can see it now, we envision our minds this huge group, two million strong, perhaps, of the Israelites, and the morning's over, and the sea goes back, and all these dead Egyptians along the shore, and they're walking along, and perhaps we would call it today the fear of God. Put the fear of God in them, and that's exactly what happened. It was it was the referential fear of God. All oh, the America had the fear of God again. That we need that God is holy, and we are not, and we need to obey what His Word has said. Now, notice the Bible does not say the Israelites killed a single man, or it does not say they defended themselves, or it does not say they fought, because they didn't. They simply waited and walked through and turned and let God work. 
That goes against the grain of those of us, perhaps I'm the only one, who want to have all of our ducks in a row. I told my wife today about, I said, uh, uh, we talked about doing something. I said, well, I don't do it on Sunday because I've got my Sundays already so pretty much timed out. I got my nap from 2.30 to 4. If I sleep that long, get ready to come over to church, etc. I get, I get all, I mean, pretty much timed out here. And, and I don't want to put a monkey wrench into my schedule, but perhaps I need to have that done sometimes. But they just simply and let God do His thing, and God does a marvelously better job than us, does He not? He does. The dead bodies of the Egyptian shoulders testified to the dramatic power of God, uh, definitively showed the fact that Israel's deliverance upon Egypt was real and complete. We're wondering now; it's in the back of your mind is that person out there. And I remember when my wife uh, was working at PNC Bank, and they were robbed. And there's that when a person would come in with that black attire or a hoodie again, and flash back on that, and you wonder back there if that person uh, ever gonna come back into the bank at some point in time with that same attire on again. Can you imagine now the Israelites and, and the Pharaoh and his group was perhaps they didn't come into the water, and they're starting to go up the shore, the North Shore, to come around the swing or back around to chase them again. It's not going to happen. There's dead bodies here. We are safe. We are safe from the Egyptians now. Uh, Alan Cole says, This is a very graphic touch, an eyewitness account. The drowned Egyptian soldiers stand for the old way of life in slavery, now gone forever. Somehow the sight of these dead bodies was the concrete sign that salvation and new life for Israel was now assured. End of quote. Isn't it remarkable what God can do without our help? Sometimes we think, well, my company needs me. My church needs me. My family needs me. My cat, no, my cat doesn't need me. Uh, These all these things. Hey, God must need me too. Well, no, he doesn't. He allows us, in my thinking, to be a part of his work as we surrender. But his work is going to get done with or without us. He wants you on board. He wants, you, he wants you serving, but he doesn't need us. He can manage quite well and remarkably better than us with us. He just allows us to be a part, to serve, to give, to go, to do these different things. That's what he allows us. He prefers us. Matter of fact, if it's a big test, he prefers us to step aside and let him do the work and us to have the faith. That's what he prefers. 31, really a capstone if you would. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord had did upon Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What an awesome, we can just imagine the awesome silence that reigned, R-E-I-G-H-N-E-D, reigned after that the floods, water sort of calmed down, and all these bodies were just washing to shore. They saw what God had done. An enormous ground swell of respect spread along the shoreline and they believed God. Historians and unbelieving archaeologists have helped us to draw the additional insights regarding this milestone event. Archaeological discoveries from obelisks and other records indicate that the Egyptians did not frequent this place for 17 long years after this miracle took place. They held it in awe. In fact, they did not attempt to regain their ascendancy over Syria for 22 years after this incident. The message arrived back home that God had visited the Red Sea and it remained an unfriendly place for Egyptians for a long, long time to come. And naturally so. Why would you want to go back to that? So in closing, I want to just sort of do an application for us regarding our Red Seas. They open and close at God's command. 
we have to understand that. You see, the, the clock and the calendar really are, are some of the greatest detriments to the life of faith. God does not tell time like we do. Matter of fact, God, as you know, lives outside time. He, he created time for us. He just always has been, is now, always will be. He's like in the constant present. Sometimes we, he works at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning, sometimes at noon, sometimes on Sundays, sometimes on Wednesdays. The remarkable thing, regardless of our time of day, he does not bow to our timepiece. He does not jump at our alarm bells. <laughs> oh, oh, I've got to do that for Tim down there. He's going to... Well, you know, he doesn't have to do all that. He, he really, his, he ignores our deadlines and removes our crutches so that we will trust. See, that is the lesson for all of us from this chapter, if you would. Until we learn it, we're going to be staying stuck in the cul-de-sac. It's like we're going to be going around. Oh, and that's how we came in. Yes, let's try it again. Go around. Oh, it looks just like how we came in. It is. We're going to, go around. We're going to be stuck in that until we stop and say, Lord, you, you open the way. Open the way for us, if you would. We see, we just, we have to leave this particular Red Sea uh, without an opening. We need a sign until perhaps he's finished teaching us. He has no trouble parting the waters. He wants us to listen. I like this. He has, he has no trouble parting the waters and sending us through, but Baal Zephon has to do its work. And what are the results? You won't see a miracle. You will be the miracle. And that's the best part. Lots of times missionaries have said over and I've said it before. Lots of times what God wants to do on the mission field is in the missionaries themselves rather so much than the people they are ministering to. This is from a book called The Disciplines of Life by Raymond Edmund. He says these words, quoting now, We live in a restless and patient day. We have little time for preparation and less for meditation or worship. We feel we must be active and energetic, humanly effective. We cannot understand why inactivity, weakness, and weariness, and seeming uselessness should be our lot. It all appears so foolish and futile without plan or purpose. And then he says these words which I really like. The delay that instructs and prepares us saves time, never loses it. The delay that instructs and prepares us saves time, never loses it. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to listen. He wants to prepare us. But what if I do this? I'm going to get behind in my... The delay that instructs and prepares us saves time, never loses it. It was Hudson Taylor who knew the testing of, that tempers or strengthens the steel of the soul. He was an invalid at home at 29. He had spent six years of service in China, and they had to settle back on the east side of London in a very poor area. With a, his outside interests lessened, his friends began to leave him, and during his hidden years, he was spent in the dreary seats of a poor part of London where the tailors were shut up to prayer and patience. And as the years of the obscurity progressed, and when discipline was complete, there emerged from that time the China Inland Mission from that time of obscurity we recall the name of Hudson Taylor does anyone ever mention those five years of obscurity in the poor part of London I didn't even know he experienced them until I was studying for this message not likely we're much more prone to emphasize the prominent things of starting the China Inland Mission and how that has been a great influence in China we remember those but these years of obscurity and we sort of want to maybe pass by on those if we can do that. 
So I ask you, do you feel like you're cornered right now? Do you feel up against it? Do you feel almost barren? God knows our predicament. Matter of fact, often it's by his design. If you're walking with him, it's by his design. Now, we can get out of God's will and call some problems we shouldn't have if we're walking with him. We understand that. It takes those dreary streets of London and those dead ends at Baal Zephon to prepare us for the glorious days of Canaan. Listen carefully. Coming to the Red Sea is just as much a part of God's plan as crossing. Coming to the Red Sea is just as much a part as crossing. Now, I like the crossing part. That's woo, the exciting part when you see God really working. He's working already to bring us to that point. We just, we don't like that. I don't like that part. If I can't be in control and, and determine what we're going to do and, and answer the questions and this is what we're going to do, uh, I'm out of, out of my control. It's out of my, per, it's out of my, it's out of my hands. I struggle with that because I want to, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to, not, not trying to dictatorial necessarily, but I'm more content of, if I know exactly what we're going to be doing. But when, Lord, I don't have the answer. I guess goes against, shouldn't, should it? But that's part of it. He knows better than I. That's why this song, I just played it going away to church today. I thought I had the answers. I thought I'd done what's right. And but here I am, in prison, Joseph says in the this, in this story. We must realize the predicament is in God's hands. And so let's rest that poem and his hand will lead you through, clear through, ere the watery walls roll down. No foe can reach you, no wave can touch, the, no mightiest sea can drown. The tossing billows may near their crest, their foam at your feet may break, but over your bed, you sh- over their bed, you shall walk dry shod in the path your Lord will make. In the morning watch, neath the lifted cloud, you shall see but the Lord alone. When he leads you on from the place of the sea to a land that you have not known. And your fears shall pass as your foes have passed. You shall be no more afraid. You shall sing his praise in a better place. A place that his hand has made. And that's it. He brings us to Baal Zephon. He brings us to the end of our resources. He has, there's nowhere to go but up to him. And then when we wait for him in his time, he opens the sea and we go through. But the thing is, he may well keep a lock on that door until you and I get to where we are supposed to be with him, speaking from personal experience. We, we just have to quit fighting and quit saying, Lord, you need to do this. Lord, you need to do that. Lord, why aren't you doing this? And what? He is God. I am not. And neither are you. May we remember that. And praise the Lord when He is ready and we surrender. Whoa, look out. Here comes the wind. And there we go. And off we go. And wow, boom, 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 boom. And we're in a better place, a place that His hand has made. Let us pray. Lord, as we look, think about this text tonight, it looked like the end of the world to the uh, Israelites. They had the, the forces on uh, Egyptian fortresses on top. They had the, the desert below. They had the sea in front. And they had Pharaoh and his army behind. And we're, we're, there's nowhere to go except to you. And Lord, perhaps you bring us to the end of our hoarded resources so we will see the Father's full giving has only begun when we humble ourselves and step back and say, Lord, 
Stand still, we are to be, and see the salvation of our God. Lord, help us to do that. And Lord, truly, you do make all things beautiful. But the little, I love that little phrase, in your time. Help us to wait for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In closing tonight, if you will take the